Hello and welcome back to Sports Weekly. As ever, joined by Josh. I say as ever, Josh, you weren't here last week, but you are this week. Josh, say hi. Hello. And Will will say hi. Yeah, I'm usually here, to be fair, Dan. Always, always here. Chris isn't this week, so it's just us three. We've got a special guest later, and this is Sports Weekly. So welcome back to another episode of Sports Weekly. As I said in the intro, Chris is not here. Couldn't be bothered to turn up today, but Josh, you could be. So congratulations. Well done. Uh, how are you, Josh? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. I just uh, not noticed Will swatting up a bit in the intro. You know, I'm always here. Well, you know, sometimes <laughs> I've got other things to do in the podcast world. So. Yeah, unlike me and Will, who have nothing else to do and are just sat at our screens waiting for Monday nights. Will, are you all right? Um, I mean, I just don't leave the studio before we found this out. I've managed to find the warm corner in the room. Um, uh, it's actually quite nice. So when you actually come, we turn the lights on, which is only for two hours every week. I've got my <laughs> warm corner. I've got the corner I do my business in because, you know, even though animals know how to separate themselves in the business. Um, and the other two corners, one, I have my weekend corner. Um, and then the other corner is, well, kitchen Slash bathroom, um, so I've got two toilets essentially, I mean, which is that's... better than some people can have. Well, exactly. You look at that and you've got the most corners apparently in the world. Well, ex- exactly. Um, right, but huge news already to start the podcast with. Yesterday, Josh. Well, there's only four, Dan, and it's a room, so <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yesterday, Josh, um, massive managerial craziness. Nigel Pearson fired. And the Cowley brothers, gone from Huddersfield, both of whom came into clubs who were bottom of the table, both of whom um, almost certainly have saved their clubs. Huddersfield are safe, bar a ridiculous goal swing. And and Watford, sorry, are out of the bottom three by three points, with only Villa and Bournemouth below them, really. And they're not going to make the points up. So what do you make of the the two decisions, Josh? On the basis that you just said, it seems utterly ludicrous given that they the especially Pearson kind of the, the position he came into the club at and kind of the positivity he's kind of injected and appreciate some of the kind of more recent performances haven't been quite as good but you I guess maybe the owners thinking of beyond this season and whether they're a realistic prospect to keep to kind of move the club forward is the only thing I can think of but doesn't seem any sort of reward for what the, both of them have done it's unbelievable really well, when reading the Huddersfield one, um, it, it kind of read as though they had a difference of opinion of where they could take the, the club forward from. I mean, Will, you're also of a club who hired a new manager who also made you safe from relegation. Um, what do you make of the, the Huddersfield saga? And, and so, do, you think, do you think it's the Cowleys wanting a bit more ambition from the owner? Or do you think it's the owner thinking, we want better football, despite the fact you've saved us and that's what we brought you in to do? I mean, it's the odd thing. I mean, I would say that's possibly more of an argument to Watford. And is it the Grazia family? Not the Grazia family. Gosh, is it the Grazia family? I can't remember. Watford. Yeah, I can't remember what their names are. We'll we'll, we'll get that right. We'll get that right sooner or later. Um, But so Watford have obviously had a massive argument with Nigel Pearson. And that's why he and Craig Shakespeare left. Because they tried to get Craig Shakespeare to cover the last two games. But he also said no, essentially they're coming to the pair now. Whereas... I understand that that's happened there. But with Huddersfield, their last game was a 2-1 win over West Brom, which, against second in the table, 
I'm kind of baffled because essentially what the obviously Michael O'Neill, similar honestly, similar to Nathan Jones at Luton, to be fair, you brought him in, made the club safe. And then the reason why we brought you in is because we believe you're going to make the club safe and you can push on for next year. I understand the football's not been very good, but in regards to the transfer business they could do, didn't really have. Uh, your first thought is right. How do I make the team great? I'm thinking you're thinking more. You're thinking more of selling players first rather than buying them in. And to go on the run they did, yes, they played some awful, awful football, but they're 18th in the table, three points clear, very similar to Watford. And I understand the Watford manager around about you know three managers this season alone but the Huddersfield one I can't quite comprehend you want him to come in and keep your club safe and then you move on next season yeah. but he's made you safe essentially I mean obviously I know they can still go down but probably unlikely to go do so you then let them rebuild next season and go from there the football they're playing is what six months old no I, I don't get the Huddersfield one I kind of yeah. get the Watford one it's Premier League you have an yeah. argument with the chairman you're gone the, the football they're playing is surely based on the the players they've got and the situation they found themselves in. You'd think if they had a yeah. a, a summer transfer window to to get who they wanted in, they'd do a pretty good job. They seem like they, they do a good job of a, of a club where they have um, the, the ability to create something like they did with Lincoln. And then I mean, to, to sack them after yeah. they've done the job you brought them in for seems really mm. odd. It, it, it really does, because essentially it's a bit... I always find Chris Hewton is all we end, end up in this position. So Chris Hewton, yeah. when he took mm. over Newcastle, well, when he started, you know, Newcastle before they brought in Alan Barge, who was doing an absolutely fantastic job, kind of got rid of him for, for no real apparent reason. Then on the back of his squad, Alan Barge brings in a couple of players, which he got lucky, you know, Denver Bar, Papa Cissé, I believe were brought in by Barge. Um, and then had some of the best finishes they'd ever had. But this was on the back of a team that was already created to play that kind of football. Then you've got, he went to Brighton. Oh, I think, yeah, he went to. He had a stint with Norwich. Also went to Brighton. Kept them safe with a thin line budget. And I know Graham Potter's doing a really good job, but then always gets sort of asked to leave or resigns or gets yeah. sacked for no real reason. You, if you hire him in to keep your club safe, and he does that, I mean, it's a bit like David Moyes at West Ham, I guess, as well. They've done the job. Don't get rid of them just before the end of the season. At least do yeah. it at the end. It kind of just shows a bit more class. I don't know if that's just me being more sentimental. Well, but no, why I, would you bring him in and I to think keep in, you safe and yeah. to move up next year and then not and, and yeah. not keep you promise? Completely agree. And I think, um, I don't know what you think about it, Josh, the the fact they've brought in Hayden Mullins and, and Graham Stack and, and they, they, they've, they've managed the club already this season once when they, they, they sacked a previous manager um, and did okay. But you think the last two games are Man City and Arsenal for Watford. So... I don't see them doing any better, Josh, than they than they would have done with Nigel Pearson in there. I just can't see they're just on a hiding to nothing. The, it, how how on earth could they conceivably get a better result than Pearson could? It's almost like a if kind of managerial careers are like short term at the best of times. There's almost like this like extreme short termism that comes at the end of a season where you you sort of. <laughs> kind of manager becomes just a relegation manager like like you say well Chris Hewton's a prime example and that's all he can do that's his kind of niche now he's never you almost feel like with certain clubs he's never going to get the chance to actually yeah. build his own team and get a, a kind of a chance in the autumn to you know put his own stamp on things he's just a kind of keep keep you up and then I'll get rid of you I lack a class so I completely agree yeah 
on the, on the Huddersfield one, we, we had a, a comment from a Huddersfield fan, uh, Oliver Eaton, at Oliver Eaton YT on Twitter. He said, quite shocked. It came out of the blue and led to the majority of us checking uh, if it came from a parody account. We just secured safety and next day they're sacked. Clueless owner. He then went on to say the statement released was weird too, describing it as a decision made for the long term of the club. Interestingly, the club are not opening for any applicants, so somebody yeah. already must be lined up. His guess was our coach, Mark Hudson. He's the cheapest option for the moneyless owner, which is what, to me, Will says that there's a difference of opinion in the Cowley brothers want some money to, to make the progress they know they could with this club and the owner mm-hmm. saying, I don't have the money to do that. So you either work on what you've got or you go elsewhere. And there's a lot of, of rumour saying that the Cowley brothers could be going to Bristol City. And I think Bristol City would be getting a very, very good manager and or uh, assistant manager it's it's awkward because don't get me wrong i mean Huddersfield, their football hasn't been great this even under the cowley brothers essentially had a really good really good run up until lockdown when they were hired and then to be honest since then some of their football has been atrocious similar to other teams down next and around them near the relegation zone um but with that it's just strange i don't know whether bristol city be the big move just yet but surely You'd take, if you were going to hire someone and you want the cheapest option, you'd take the two managers, well, you take Nicky and Danny, the two brothers, who've just come from Lincoln, one being, you know, a recently a former PE teacher who has essentially, you know, worked with budgets that were probably smaller than Huddersfield's. Let's not forget, you know, they were only relegated a couple of seasons ago yeah. and you still get money for being relegated as you do being promoted, essentially. Um and you just think to yourself, essentially, I, I, I don't think the option can be money because the Cali brothers, they weren't expensive. Not to be mean to them, but in regards to the caliber of manager, they were. Like, coming from Lincoln, it's not like they haven't had, they haven't had to buy out for millions for a buyout clause. They haven't had to pay them out the nose either. Um, I think the money option is a bit of a cop-out because I think those two are still a cheap option. Um, yeah. I think yeah. Bristol City, I don't really know why Bristol City would go there. I have Chris Hutton was supposed to be actually you know, speaking about him again. Um, one of the for that job. I think, if anything, maybe a bit of a step too much. Well, I, but, I, I'm wondering whether there's a lot of rumours that Chris Hutton is one of the favourites for the Watford job. Um, for the Watford job. Well, to be honest, I kind of, I mean, we probably hear this, but um, I, you know, I wish all the best for Holden and, and, and Graham Stack, to be fair. I met Graham yeah. Stack um, a couple of times, and actually, irregardless of uh, some of the stories he or people will tell you about him from his old football days, came off as a really lovely individual. So I hope he does, I hope he does a good job, whatever. Or if he does, but I mean, Man City and Arsenal are not the easiest games to face. Um, but anyway, back back onto the Bristol City Cali brothers thing. Yeah, I mean, if they get the job, fair play to them because um, you know nothing to say that there's nothing to say that they didn't deserve it. It's definitely not actually was sacked by Huddersfield. Um, but yeah, I don't think the money issue is the real reason why they went. I reckon similar with Watford, an argument's taken place there, a disagreement maybe about the transfer budget. You could be correct, but. Um, I don't know. We will we'll just have to see what happens. Yeah, I, and it will it, be interesting. Let's put it that way. And I think wherever they go, they'll do a good job, um, whether that's Bristol City, whether that's anywhere else. Uh, now, moving on, uh, we had a lovely review last week from James J.P. Pierce. That's at its only JP on Twitter. He said about our um, 
episode with Ed Straw, all about F1. He said, brilliant episode, some really good chat about F1 and all of the key points that I'd have picked up on to review. Interesting chat about the rise and fall of the teams and drivers, as well as the opening doubleheader. Everything else non-F1 was fun and easy to listen to as well. So a lovely review there from James J.P. Pierce. If you've got any comments you want to say, contact us on Twitter. You'll have all of the information that you need at the end of this episode. Now, quickly before we move on to our brilliant uh, guest in part two, I learned from watching Gogglebox at the week uh, at the weekend. Now, I should say that my wife told me this ages ago, but I just thought she was talking nonsense. And then Martin Kemp said something on Gogglebox about the right way to eat a chocolate digestive. Okay. Now, before I go any further, me and Josh, we've had a discussion just before this. Josh, you eat it biscuit side down, right? Biscuit side down. I, I thought it. everyone did. I eat it biscuit side down. Will? Eat a biscuit side down? I've got, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. Well, if, you were I, to eat, if you were to eat a chocolate digestive, would you eat yeah. it chocolate side up or chocolate side down? Chocolate side up. Right, so we eat it all in the same way, but apparently that's not the right way to eat it. You are supposed to eat a chocolate digestive chocolate side down so it goes straight against your taste buds and you can taste it instantly. It's also flatter, so the flat side goes against your tongue and the slightly curved side goes against the roof of your mouth. So apparently that is the correct way to eat a chocolate digestive. That's kind of, it's like, it's like football. That's kind of like the most unimportant, important thing. Honestly, it, but I, I think, I think it'll revolutionize your life. And so I, I wondered, I'm going to ask you some questions about some other um, foods and I want to know how you would eat them. Okay. So uh, I'm going to go around the table. Josh, how would you eat a cheese string? So I'm a bit of a stranger to a cheese string. Um, only had my first one a few months ago. But whoa, I, whoa. <laughs> whoa, that's a revelation, huh? But I think I, I just copy the advert and I just peel away, peel away until it's all gone. Okay, Will, how, do you eat, how would you eat a cheese string? I'm trying to make this sport. No, you don't, you don't need to. We're not, we're not talking about sport for a second because I was so wowed by this uh, digestion. <laughs> well, not talking about the sport anymore. No, I just, no, don't care about sport. I just want to know about, about cheese strings and, and different foods. And I'm not sure whether Will's still there. And I think Will might have frozen. So, Josh, I'm just going to come to you for this instead. And we'll see. Will, Will didn't seem interested anyway. Oh, no. no, he's back. He's back. Will's back. So how do you eat a cheese <laughs> string, Will? Yeah, sorry about that. I, I, just, I just eat it just like out of the packet. Just munch on it. You munch it through. So that's how, exactly how uh, I eat it as well. I but when I tell people, when I I tell people that's how I eat yeah. it. They look at me like I've kind of punched, punched them in the face. That's uh, like getting a four-finger Kit Kat and just going... Oh, don't you worry, Josh. We're coming on to that in a, in a little while. Okay. okay. How, how would you eat a burger? That's what I want to know. So if you've got a burger... And you've what do you mean how you would eat a burger? <laughs> you would eat it how it comes. No, now, see, in both I agree. I agree with that. That's, that's how Who's I Who's disagreeing with me? Who's disagreeing with The me? amount of people I see eat a burger with a knife and fork in a restaurant is absolutely insane. Okay. Why are you How? not enjoying your own food? Why are you looking at other people's food? <laughs> because I'm an absolute creep in a restaurant. But people enjoy it with a knife and fork. And you look at them thinking a burger is made to be picked up, surely. That's what the bun well, is that... there for, to pick it up. Right? Ah, but the thing is, people recently, which I don't get, people ask for skinny burgers, so you have it without nah, the back. That's rubbish. Because they want to be diet. That's not then a burger. It's not. That's it's like just a, a patty. Crap round steak. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want a crap round. Yeah, but if you put a crap, crap round steak, round I don't think anyone's going to order that. To be honest. 
crap round steak. Well, I mean, two quid. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm. I'm not just. There's a certain point where you try to evolve something. Yeah. A burger, <laughs> bun, and whatever, whatever you have inside it. The basis is bun inside bun. That's that's a burger. If yeah. You have it without a doubt. Yeah. Because apparently you have it in there, but um, <laughs> this is a bit like when I found out Monster Munch weren't weren't the weren't the feet of monsters, but you turn them round and they're actually the actual live body of a monster. And no. I, yeah, so Monster Munch, I thought they were the feet. Yes, yeah, so the hands of monsters, but apparently they they're just the body, and then no. the big thing's the eye or the face. You turn them upside down. Oh. Yeah. Right. Oh, this is a revelation. This is a real revelation. Live, live what, on Sports Week. Breaking news here it right is. now. I can't believe that. That's insane. What's the right way to eat a, What's the right way to eat an Oreo then? I hope you found this out. Well, I I didn't find that out, but what I would do is twist off the top. Eat one of the biscuity parts, then eat the inside. I sort of get that, but that's too much effort. <laughs> what, I, you just I get you put it straight in. Yeah, you know, it's a biscuit. Quite true. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is that is a truth point right there. Undeniable. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Well, I've got two more. Okay. How would you eat spaghetti, Josh? That's the first, that's the next one. So I'm a bit of a klutz with a knife. Uh, sorry, with just a fork for spaghetti. So I get a, a fork and a spoon. Swizzle the spaghetti into a spoon. Swizzle it around. So it's nice and, yeah. Well, are you the same? No, it's kind of childlike. I don't really <laughs> do tell people what I do. <laughs> I cut it. I cut it as well. I've oh, never, I've never twisted like? it. Never ever twisted it around. I've always cut it up and just. I used to it. twist it. I used to twist it, but then when I twist it, the sauce splatters everywhere. So yeah, I twist like... it too quickly. Just it, it, the ends. The ends. Exactly. The ends fall out. They go all over your shirt. It's yeah. It's just not not worth it. The last one is a Kit Kat, okay? Now I'm talking four-fingered Kit Kat, as mm. you were saying, Josh. I have seen people not break them apart and just bite straight into them. I mean, where have these people been all their life? Uh, Josh, how do you eat a four-fingered Kit Kat? I, well, I prefer not to eat a four-finger because I like to slice through a little foil on the two-finger ones, but nice. besides the point, I eat it finger by finger because I'm not an absolute monster. Do you bite the chocolate off first and then do not. I like to enjoy the chocolate and the wafer simultaneously. Just hold the, the whole way through. Just the whole way through. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, I would ask Will. I'm not sure if Will's still there. We're going to have to sort his internet out for the next section. Now, I'm, I'm going to move on because we need to talk about sport in this one. And we've got a brilliant guest coming up. We've got James from Cricket Badger, at Cricket underscore Badger. Um, a brilliant podcast if you've never listened to it before. Lots of followers. Um, so knowledgeable about cricket. And we're going to talk to him about uh, the England versus West Indies test series. Coming up next. <laughs> So welcome back to part two of the Sports Weekly podcast. Delighted to be joined by our special guest, James Butler um, from the Cricket Badger podcast. Um, James, how are you? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for coming on. Um, coming to you, finger on the pulse, hot off the press. England have um, beaten West Indies in the second test of this three test series. Um, a really good display from England. Could have gone massively pear-shaped with a completely rained off day three, but they kept their nerve and batted and bowled very, very well. What did you make of the the, the test match overall? I think uh, the West Indies more than um, deserved to win the first test match. 
Um, but I think England deserves to win the second one. I think, it, you know, if you're looking for a, a blueprint of how Joe Root wants his team to play Test match mm-hmm. cricket, um, you've got it over the last five days in, in Manchester to be inserted on what was not an easy track to bat on. Um, Dom Sibley, I know off my Twitter feed, um, a lot of people are suggesting that he'd sent, it, he'd sent them to sleep. But um, <laughs> England have been cry, crying out for a, for a top-order batsman to bat long and to really take it out of the legs of the opposition bowlers for years now, um, since Alistair Cook, really. Or Alistair Cook's needed somebody alongside him to do that. So, um, you know, fantastic from Sibley. Um, ben Stokes just keeps getting better and better. His innings in the first innings was, was incredible. And then, obviously, today, for him to get 78 not out in quick-fire fashion to set up uh, um, a, a chance for them to get 10 wickets. And I think they kept the discipline. They took three early. Didn't get impatient, just kept plugging away, and uh, in the end wrapped it up fairly comfortably. So I think if uh, if England are looking for a blueprint, and if uh, you know to win the Ashes or to go to India with, and to try and replicate that again, that's not too far away from a you know, I won't say it's the perfect Test match performance, but it's it's not it's getting there, getting there. Yeah, and you meant you mentioned him, Will. How often? I don't know how many more times Ben Stokes can surprise people, but to get the the massive difference in the two innings the 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 strong the solid the almost boring at times cricket from the first <laughs> innings to then Ben Stokes in the second where he was hitting everything so many times he swung and I thought his shoulder was going to pop out because he swung so hard that I thought he was good. if he connects that ball is going out of the out of the ground whatsoever does Ben Stokes surprise you with anything he does anymore because he is incredible. I don't. I don't think he surprises me with anything he does anymore. It just surprises how get better he keeps getting. I mean, so a year ago, two years ago, we talked about how much of you know how he could possibly be the best batter we or the best batsman we have in the team, especially when he, after the first two. Um, there was a moment today, fielding wise, he bowls the ball. <laughs> I think he bowls it to Braithwaite or Brathwaite. He bowls it. The guy smashes it back down. He's about to hit the boundary. He runs from the crease all the way to the boundary. He has to turn around to do that, by the way, which isn't the quickest thing to do. Saves the four, throws it back. He bowls, he fields himself. It's unbelievable how <laughs> he's good mid off when he's got Ben Stokes bowling. It's almost yeah. like he's the kind of guy that's brought the ball, brought the stumps, brought the bat. Right, if, if you hit it, I'm going to chase it. I'm going to bowl it. You know, you know, you know when they joke in sports where, you know where they joke in sports where, oh, the upper team... The, the opposition team is that good. It's almost like they've got an extra player on the pitch. That's essentially <laughs> Ben Stokes. It's it's just absolutely no. On on a serious note, to come back where he came came from until the depression of that, you know, awful over against the West Indies all those years ago, to climb and to get better and develop the way he has done so, to become essentially England's best player at this moment in time, it is. A great story. It's an inspirational story. And what a coup or what a positive atmosphere Joe Root must have in the dressing room, just having him by his side. Now, yeah, there's a question on Ben Stokes' passion. Because of why he is so good, maybe that could ruin his chances from being an unbelievable captain because he is so, not tunneling, but so emotive when he plays the game, whereas Joe Root, obviously the calm and collective, you know, monotone voice, that sort of captaining as a cricketer, because sometimes can be that that might be his only downfall that he loves it a bit too much but yeah. no I, I don't think Ben Stokes will ever surprise me of how <laughs> in, in whatever he does I just think he'll keep surprising me on how he keeps, keeps gaining going. that next level yeah. of 
all three areas of cricket. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing that we are getting to see the man develop and, and the way he's doing it. Yeah, I mean, Will mentioned it there, James. Um, and I'll, sorry, Josh, I will bring you in in a second, but I'd love to get James's uh, <laughs> thoughts on this. Will, will mentioned it there. Um, that over in the, I think it was the T20 World Cup final against Brathwaite, four sixes in a row. To come back from that, did you, at that point, two, two thoughts to this, really. What does that say about Ben Stokes's character, his mentality, and, and the fact that he can come back from probably the, the darkest of dark times as a cricketer, surely, when you're on the, the verge of winning a T20 World Cup and that happens? And did you expect him to get to the level he is now from that point? Uh, I could answer that in about an hour, but I'll try and, I'll try and wrap it up. <laughs> okay. um, I, I thought with the, the four balls against Brathwaite, and obviously England was home and hose, weren't they, in that World Cup final, mm. World T20 final. And for, to, for him to see um, four balls disappear over the uh, fence and for victory to be robbed from him must have been absolutely devastating. And, and in, in a team sport, you let your teammates down as well, don't you? You feel, yeah. you feel terrible. And then obviously for Bristol to come, um, you know, he, he, he has gone through some really bad times, Ben Stokes. And I think it's absolutely superb. Um, I wasn't a massive fan of him around the Bristol time, I have to say. I thought he was... You know, maybe a little bit too fiery and might might not achieve what he could do. Um, but for him to, um, he's obviously a family man. I think that's very important to him. But for him to get his head down and to, he's the hardest worker in that England team. Yeah. He talked to some of the players involved in that setup and they say he's the most caring man in that dressing room for other people as well. Uh, and for him to have kind of come from those lows and to come to where he is now, which is right at the top of the world really, you there's very few players you'd put parallel to him, certainly in the all-rounder kind of stakes. You know, Jason Holder mm. came into this series as the number one all-rounder. I think Ben Stokes is probably winning that battle at the moment. And yeah. uh, I, th- I think he's absolutely fantastic to, to kind of show the resolve he's shown and to fight back and to do all of he's done. I mean, talking about the captaincy there, I mean, a few people have said that they think Ben Stokes should be captain. Well, I don't think that's the case. I think Joe Root's doing a really good job as captain. I think yeah. his captaincy today was outstanding. Um, yeah. And I think you've got a vice captain in Ben Stokes who is motivational, he's a hard worker, people look up to him, he's great in the dressing room, and he's a great shoulder for Joe Root to kind of bounce things off. So I don't think, why change something that's actually a really good thing and, and possibly break it? I think Ben Stokes is a fantastic vice captain, a great player, and an, and an inspiration really in how he's come back from where he's been. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I think to make him captain, as you said, would probably be a mistake in my... I, I don't think he captained... Um, poorly at all in, in the first test match but like you said it's working well Joe Root's a great captain it's great to have different leaders from different areas and and I don't think that's something that we should pin on one person yes Joe Root is the captain but why shouldn't he be able to use so many different players on the field at, the, at any one point to to pitch in with ideas especially when you've got the likes of Stuart Broad James Anderson in the bowling line and someone as insanely good as um as Ben Stokes, uh, as, as, as one of the brilliant all-rounders. You almost need like a hands-off captain because you've got so many big personalities in the team. Yeah. And like you say, you want people chipping in. So you don't want uh, a really big personality like Stokes potentially in the captaincy role to take more of the decisions back. I mean, jo- Josh, we've, we've mentioned Ben Stokes, brilliant bowler, brilliant batter, some other brilliant bowling performances, um, especially from the likes of Sam Curran, who I thought had a, had a brilliant um, um, time of it. And, and Stuart Broad brought back into the side for, for this test match and three wickets in, in either innings. Uh, what did you make of, of Stuart Broad's 
um, reintroduction to the side. And what did you think about his omission from the side as well, Josh? Because he wasn't particularly happy about it um, mm. in, in interviews. Certainly a, a really questionable decision. And not that it was all of kind of Stokes' call in the first test, the selectors as well. It, it seemed like a, a bad call, given the kind of overcast conditions. He would have really thrived and Jopper Arch and, and Chris Wood kind of struggled in that opening innings. Um, I thought he, he definitely came into the second test with a big point to prove. Um, he really, he kind of, he struggled at first. He really, he kind of, I think he was open when he was interviewed. He said he was kind of a bit cautious with his action. It was his first test back, of course. Um, and when he kind of got through his motion, he bowled lots of bouncers to try and get his motion through. He just ripped into one of those kind of Stuart Broad kind of phases that we all know about just absolutely pitching the ball up and the ball slipping off the surface and just really exciting to see him bowl like that and getting kind of taking crucial wickets kind of if Ben Stokes was kind of the man of the match he was certainly second with his kind of two kind of crucial uh, spells really it was, it was also nice to see um to see Bess get a few few handy wickets in that second innings as well at uh, points yeah. where it looked like England was starting to starting to struggle to break down uh, uh, and he had, yeah he had a really he had quite a tough test match in some ways best as well he, he got uh, you could see that the West Indies could see he was lacking in confidence at stages and were really starting to target him hitting back over back mm. over his head really target the boundary well that, well, that was the thing because Holder hit a, a beautiful boundary on the ball before, mm -hmm. and then Bess with an insanely good ball uh, to, to break through Holder's defence. Uh, it was it was excellent, um, yeah. and then obviously the all important uh, match winning wicket, which will probably be remembered for for Pope's insanely good catch. Uh, well, I don't know if you've had, had a man, uh, managed to see it. Uh, did you did you see Pope's excellent catch for? Um, I did. For the I final did. Wicket? But I just wanted to go to something that Josh was saying earlier. Um, I mean, the pitch yesterday, I mean, after, after the rain delay, it was a completely different day at Old Trafford in regards to the sun. It seemed like it was made for spin. And I think Don Bess did take advantage of that yesterday. Um, and also, he's, he's young, he's got a bit of a raw talent, but I think he is going to come good. Yeah, I, I think I was really looking forward, to be, honest, to be honest, I was sort of looking forward to see if Jimmy Anderson could shake off the cobwebs and say again. But, yep, Broad, Broad came back. Uh, in this matchup anyway and has surpassed um, and I just want to get uh, James's opinion on Broad actually in regards of how he believes he's played in regards to being brought back inside obviously after being omitted for so many well being omitted for the first time in so many years so I just want to get James's opinion on how he thought Broad was uh, He played 51 consecutive home test matches prior to the first test of this series um, mm. so I think there's a little bit of a, an injured pride there because I think I think 54 is the record with um, Jacques Pallis in South Africa. But I, I don't really see it as being dropped. I think they, they chose what they felt was the best team for the first test match. And because they've got six test matches in seven weeks, they were always going to rotate the fast bowlers or the faster bowlers. And um, I think they'll do it again for the third test match. I think Jimmy will come back in. I can quite easily mm. see Joffre or Mark Wood coming back in as well. And possibly mm. even Stuart Broad being told to... Uh, um, to yeah, put his feet up again, I, I, and I don't see a problem with that. I think what the, what the decision they seem to have made is that they want to have rotation and they want to have their two senior bowlers leading the attack in each you know, in alternate test matches. If Jimmy did it in the first test match, Stuart Broad's coming into the second match. I can quite easily see um, Jimmy coming back in and replacing Stuart Broad in the in the in the third test. 
I, I think there's, it's going to be interesting over the next um, couple of years. Obviously, none, neither of them getting any younger. I saw Stuart Broad um, saying that um, you know, from his age, he is now to where um, Jimmy is now, and Jimmy's taken 130 wickets. So why can't I go and do that? And I think a lot of Stuart Broad's future will be down to Jimmy Anderson. So I think increasingly they'll yeah. play one of the two. Um, and if Jimmy hangs around for another two years and gets to the Ashes and maybe finishes the summer after that, that might in, um, affect Stuart Broad's number of appearances because I don't think they'll play both. Because you know, Mark Wood's coming in with added pace. Joffre Archer's going to be hard to drop at times if he, if he plays to his potential. It's going to be interesting to see how they rotate those. And they've got a... A luxury, really, of so many steamers. You've got Sam Curran, as you mentioned. Um, Chris Wokes never lets England down at home, but you probably wouldn't take him away. Um, and then you've got the Overton brothers. You've got loads of um, seam bowlers. Uh, Ollie Stone, who I thought was really impressive when he played Test cricket and has never been seen since because he had a bit of a knock and then never never played. And he, he's got a bit of pace about him. So England have got a luxury and strength in depth in the seam department and are able to rotate in, in what's a very busy summer. And I don't think it should be underestimated. You know, they haven't played properly for four or five months. And then to come into six test matches in seven weeks, you're asking for trouble. And we'd all be up in arms if Jimmy Anderson had a career-ending injury in the second test match because they played him in back-to-back test matches. The same with Stuart Broad. So they've got to be very careful. And I've said for a few weeks now that post-COVID, with the almost kind of, the need to try and get some money in the coffers and to try and get as many games in as possible. The one thing they can't forget is the players because they're human beings and then they, they need looking after as well. And I think the, the England selectors, who I've criticised in many ways, um, have got this absolutely dead on in terms of the rotation of the seamers. They're all getting games. They're going to miss games. They're just going to have to suck that up and, uh, and get on with it. And I think, it's, uh, you know, I think they're starting to understand that the, the England team are looking after them rather than actually dropping them. Yeah, and, and surely it's, it's we saw it last year, didn't we, with Jofra Archer, that when you play so much cricket in such a short space of time yeah. and you're such a quick bowler that you are bound to get an injury uh, through repetitive strain or through muscle injuries in your sides and your back, wherever. So I think we saw that with Jofra Archer. And surely, they, as you said, James, they need to look at it as a positive. That we've got so many really good options um, that, it's, that it's great for England. There's so many good options that we can have that can be led by either Stuart Broad or, or Jimmy Anderson. And that's, that's the just big thing. Will, just before Will comes back in, um, I think one of the things that um, uh, Stuart and Jimmy have to understand is that they're fantastic. They've taken a thousand wickets between them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they've also got to hand the baton on as well and bring through the ones underneath them. Yeah. And if that involves just stepping down a bit and giving them a few chances every now and again, that can only be a positive thing, I think. Yeah, that has to be their responsibility the, as the older heads and, and, the, and the most experienced members. Uh, Will, I'll come to you. I was just going to say as well, it's possibly um, one of the reasons as well why um, West Indies are so poor in the opening bowls yesterday. Um, Shannon Gabriel giving away, what, something like 23 extras or mixture of the bowlers. It was something like Shannon Gabriel um, and I think Kimar Roach as well. That, I mean, Shannon Gabriel especially gave away quite a lot yesterday. And it could be argued, I mean, don't get me wrong, the biggest thing we know about West Indies are one of the fan, I mean, possibly the biggest fan favourite cricket team nationally around. Everyone loves the West Indies. I, I, I've not heard a team I've a word about them, but biggest word to describe them, inconsistent. Inconsistency in regards of how they portray. Because look at them compared to the first game. Shannon Gabriel, I don't know what he's been doing over lockdown, but was incredible um, for that first, uh, well, for the first four days 
And then possibly what it shows when you don't rotate properly is the bowlers, they may be a bit stiff, he may be a bit tight, he may be a bit, you know, not as quick to recover, to play the second test. Um, so, I mean, as, as James was pointing out, maybe rotation was the absolute spot-on thing to do, which was possibly the reason um, we maybe did so well, possibly why the West Indies um, didn't do so well, is because they didn't rotate and we did. Yeah, and, and I think that is, that is the big thing. We looked fresh. They possibly didn't and looked a bit inconsistent, as you said, Will. Um, Josh, we talked briefly about the, uh, about the bowlers there, but briefly in particular about Jofra Archer. Um, I mean, it's come out that he's been fined and given a written warning by England uh, and the England and Crick Wales Cricket Board, sorry, for breaching biosecure protocols. Uh, it turned out that he went home, um, went to his home in Hove, which I think was a 100-mile detour on the way to Manchester. Um, to, to go and to go and visit family, let's put it that way. Um, now he's been fined. He has, uh, as I said, received a written warning, but he is available to return um, in the next test match. So, Josh, do you think that, A, what do you make of Joffre Archer doing that, and B, do you think he should return? I, I obviously I think it was a, uh, the wrong thing to do completely. I think, particularly when you think about the... Obviously, the biosphere that the ECB have put in place is kind of really painstakingly done. The media are all involved. They're all tested. They, you know, can't leave the bubble and, and all this stuff. So when, so when one person breaks the rules, it kind of endangers everyone. I, I particularly kind of think of the West Indies, them coming from the Caribbean, their experience, they're not having really experienced any sort of lockdown in the same way that the UK has. Um, and you know that they have to obey it and you know it's it's ridiculous that he kind of broke rules in that regard i i feel that the kind of response is appropriate he was reprimanded he fined um it's been he has to kind of give two negative tests to, to play again he's obviously said sorry i i feel that that's a that's an appropriate apology i think it's a i really admire the ecb for cracking down and it's so hard we've seen kind of more recently tennis world but there hasn't been much kind of <laughs> criticism of <laughs> as we've discussed in previous podcasts yeah. and I think that was a really that they kind of drew a line in the sand and said yeah yeah no one's going to break our biosphere without kind of having reasonably serious consequences was was really good to see actually yeah what, what do you make James of Ashley Giles coming out and saying that it could have cost them I think he said tens of millions of pounds um, and he was quite strong in his message saying yes he has apologized yes he has said sorry he's a young man young men, men uh, young men make mistakes but it wasn't good enough he knows he shouldn't have done that uh, and therefore he, he, he hopefully has learned his lesson and will probably have learned a lot in the last 24 hours, he said, due to the amount of media coverage and social media coverage. Um, ben Stokes has come out in support of him and just said, yes, he made a mistake, but now we need to make sure that he's okay. He's kept happy because a happy Joffre Archer is good for England. Uh, what do you make of the responses of the England contingent? I, I think they've actually got it pretty much bang on. I think the ECB have done a terrific job, actually, in getting this series on. Um, speaking to some of the uh, kind of colleagues in the media that are actually there, have been there at the Aegeus Bowl and at Old Trafford, um, the, the, the long list of kind of things to bear in mind and the protocols and everything is huge. And the ECB have had to do that to actually clear the test series for it to be played and get government clearance and, and uh, all the rest of it. And, you know, the, you've got people at the ECB who are effectively um, cricket admin people 
who are having to kind of learn about science and learn about bio bubbles and all this kind of stuff. And hey, I think they've done a, a terrific job. I don't think you could legislate for everything. And you know, a player going rogue like Joffre did is something that you probably can't legislate for at all because they were all told exactly what to do and getting from Southampton to Manchester, um, you know, which petrol station to stop out, all kinds of different things, you know. Um, and Joffre, you know, nobody can suggest that Hove's en route to Manchester from uh, Southampton. So, so he did wrong um, and he's obviously paid the price. He's not been suspended because obviously the, the five days he spent in the hotel room was enforced by the um, the protocols rather than ECB suspending him for the second test match. But I think ultimately um, you've got to kind of sit down and think, does it actually do any good to further punish a player for this? Now, he's done wrong and he's prejudiced the whole series and it could have been about £100 million worth of money up in smoke if the series had gone, um, gone completely down as a result of this. And there's a lot of breaches in trust in there. And as, you know, as, as Josh said, with the West Indies coming over and, and showing their faith in the ECB. But I think ultimately you've got to kind of think, actually, there may be a little bit of a positive from this because the other players now know that if they do anything, then they're going to be hauled over the coals and get embarrassed like Jofra has. And ultimately, I think this summer, um, you can maybe let somebody off for one thing and we want to see Jofra Archer playing cricket. We've been denied sport for so long. And sport is much, you know, as much about entertainment and fun and entertaining the public watching it at home as it is actually winning matches. I mean, the first Test match, I'll be honest, watching that on day five, I couldn't care less who won it. I was just enjoying watching cricket. And the fact the West Indies won it, I was just I was delighted with it. It was, it was brilliant. Um, so I don't think it does any good to further punish Joffrey. He knows he's done wrong. He won't do it again. Or you'd like to think he won't do it again. If he does, then um, that's a different story. But on the basis that I don't think he will, then let's move on and forget about it and, uh, and bring him back into the fold and support him. And just quickly on him, James, do you think he will come in for the, for the next Test match? I would play him. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I think um, he's got a bit of a point to prove now, um, in the same way that Stuart Broad did a little bit after the first test match submission. The fact that uh, Joffre has spent five days in the hotel room, they've let, obviously let him out on a leash, haven't they, and uh, allowed him to kind of um, go for a little doggy walk around the uh, um, the cricket nets and that kind of thing and bowl a few balls. So he's kept himself a little bit loose. But I think you know he's playing against the countries of, of his birth, really, um, you know, being born in Barbados, growing up with a lot of the players that are playing for the West Indies. This was a big series for him. And I think it would be almost cruel to deny him the third test match. I think he'd be hungry to prove himself in it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I think, I, th- I think I agree in terms of coming in for the next test match. I think if they're going to rotate the bowlers, keep them fresh, make sure that um, that everybody's getting uh, some action over the over the, this test match, then for future test match, then I think it would make sense for, for him to come in. Um, well, we're looking at um, somebody else today who's shown really what he's made of in, um, in Dom Sibley. How impressed were you with his, um, with his first innings, uh, his total, his partnership with Ben Stokes, and England's doggedness in, in batting out a, a really good score to set them up nicely and showing just how hard they could be to break down? Well, I think after... Obviously, the issue with Denley and obviously the issue which we'll go on to a moment about our first four, it's just nice to see that there are a couple of... I don't know, I can't say the word's taking it seriously because you're a professional cricketer and to say that you don't take it seriously is possibly... You know, quite a bit of an insult. So I want to avoid using that sort of term of phrase. But 
if you know that you're going to be, I mean, maybe not even the opener, but third or fourth, you know you're coming because you're you are deemed to have ice in your veins. You're you're deemed to realise that, yeah, the opener's face the first one. Some people some people have said you know, that's like someone throwing a bomb at you. Whereas when you're second, when you're third or fourth, you are the stable makers. You are the anchor because you are you don't feel pressure. You're not supposed to feel pressure, which I know is a horrible thing to say about someone because everyone's allowed to feel pressure. But the reason why you've been brought in is because you are getting at least you know a half century or the century you are brought in to stabilize and really advance if the first two collapse you're there to keep it steady if they've done well you're there one there to carry it on before we hit five six seven the rest of it so when you see dom sibley coming in after such a shaky start by our first four order in the last game or in the last fixture it's so good to see him and also watch him play so fantastically well especially that first innings when he got 120 I, it was just a breath of fresh air. It was nice to see. I mean, I remember talking about. I remember we were going to Edgebaston, and I think I it was. I know it was only one international. I know you know we're now talking about the purest form of cricket. You know, we're talking about Test cricket. We're talking about the purest form. But I just remember thinking to myself, if Jason Roy's the best option we've got at number three or number four, we're in trouble for quite some time. And it was it was just nice to see, and especially well after watching Denley as well. Once again, no disrespect to either of them. But then watching Sibley come out, it's just like, okay, there's a bit of a future here. Okay, there's a bit of a standpoint here. You know, there are some diamonds in the rough. And it was, it, yeah, it was great to see. I was very happy to watch it. And as Will mentioned there, James, um, we look further down our order. I mean, you've got Root in four, Stokes in five, Pope, Butler, Wokes can bat. Curran is a, is a fairly decent batter. We can bat right down the order. I mean, Broad is eleven. And, and he can bat. Like Broad is not a shabby batter. It's not like having Jimmy Anderson or Joffrey Archer just kind of prodding at something. Broad is a capable batter. But our problem always for the past however many years has been at the very top of the order. We've not had a, a stable opener in a while. Number three has always been a massive position and it's the massive debate on, to, on whether Root should be four or, uh, three or four and push himself higher up the order. Um, it was great to see Sibley in there. But then you look at the likes of Crawley who... Golden Duck in the first innings and I think 11 in the second. Um, and Burns not exactly filling us with major confidence. It's a, it's a massive difficulty. So where do you think he can go in terms of openers from here? I, I think um, they need to trust in the two they've got. I think Rory Burns has shown enough so far um, to suggest that he kind of gets test cricket. He had a good first test match. He's got a couple of 40s or somewhere in their region of. Yeah. Um, you can't always expect your openers to succeed every single time because you've got mm. new balls, you've got fresh bowlers. They're going to wheedle you out, you know, early some sometimes. Um, and the the good ones kind of succeed more times than they fail. Really. Um, I think Sibley was was awesome. Um, it's a completely different kind of awesome to after watching kind of T20 and, and the World Cup win and stuff like that last last year. But it's exactly what England need, you know, to have that solidity and to build that foundation. Mm. Because you know, so many times, as you, as you hinted at there, um, the England were 28 for three, and you're kind of rebuilding. And they went through a period where they were not only 28 for three, but they said we're almost going to hit ourselves out of trouble. We're going to attack and then the counter attack and and all of a sudden, he's 75 for seven. And then, you know, the, the test match is almost gone. Um, so, I think um, having a, a couple of, um, in, in all kindness and in, in, in massive um, admiration, boring players, um, is a great thing for England. 
Um, and it also tires the bowlers out. You know, they're back in for second and third spells by the time number four and five come in. And you know, it makes a massive difference. And we saw in this test match that if you stick 469 on the board, you are steering the test match from there. You are driving it. You can, as a captain in the, in the first innings of the opposition, you can set your fields and be attacking and keep captures in for longer. Um, you, you, can, you are steering the match from there on. And that was down to Sibley, uh, mainly. Because I don't think with Sib- without Sibley, I'm not sure Stokes would have batted quite like he did do. No. I think the two, the two combined and worked out the pitch and worked out their strategy and worked together and formed that partnership of 260, I think it was, for the fourth wicket, which um, you know, is it, you know, no insignificant amount. And that effectively, that partnership won the match. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, I think the top order's good. Zach Crawley's 22. Um, I've not seen a huge amount of him other than the England colours, but he looks... I mean, this test match wasn't great for him, but the second innings, you can almost kind of put a line through because they were told to come out and thrash yeah, it, weren't exactly. they? Some, yeah, Some are going to come off and some aren't. But, um, you know, I think in the previous five test matches, he'd beaten his career best in each of the five matches, which probably cost him a bit in the bar if the bar had been open. It's probably a good time to do that with social distancing, isn't it? Um, but the... Um, you know, so I, I like him and I think he's got a future. Um, I, I love Ollie Pope at six. Um, yeah. I think keep keep him at six for now um, because he is, I mean, people say he's Ian Bell, but I actually think he potentially is better than Ian Bell. And that's, that's saying quite, that's quite <laughs> good. <laughs> that uh, is yeah, Ian Bell here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so just be careful. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, I've got a you know, big admiration for, for him. Um, Stokes at five. I mean, ultimately, maybe they swap because you're all around the usually go, it comes in at six and, it may take a little bit of pressure off Stokes. And as we've seen, Stokes can do top order stuff and he can do, you know, he can bat with a tail as well. So I think Stokes wouldn't mind too much going down to uh, number six. Having said that, he's, batted, he's averaging 58 over the last eight, 14 test matches or something like that, which is, you know, that's top order stuff. So, you know, he, he may have something to say, but having said that, we've seen some very good sixes and sevens in world cricket in, over the years. Um, and Rooty, I think he came back in, he looked rusty today. Um, and, and in the first innings, but it's his first time back. He's not played cricket. Mm. He's probably got a few bleary eyes from his kid coming along again. So, um, you know, I think you can forgive people. I thought the England and batsmen in the first test match looked really rusty and, and roots again behind them. So, you know, I can, I can forgive him for that. What, the one place I think he's really up for grabs is Joss Butler. I think, you know, you look at Joss, um, first name on the team sheet in white ball cricket, yeah. a, a, an awesome human being, a lovely bloke, and a top 10 world in the world white ball player but you put him against the red ball and there's nothing on his CV to suggest that he's got anything to give that more of than what we're seeing at the moment he's averaging 22 for England since the start of last summer um, in test match cricket he's got 150 which was right at the start of that summer I think so he's had a very lean period he's Ed Smith's kind of like little kind of um, ego pick Um, Ed's very keen not to give up on that um, and I think it might be time to do that and maybe have a look at another wicketkeeper batsman at, at number seven uh, and I, I think there's maybe mileage and this is a very long answer so forgive me uh, <laughs> very, there may be mileage to because um, Johnny Bairstow is outside the bio bubble and obviously not in favour in terms of test selection at the moment why not say to, to Josh Butler and Johnny Bairstow you're two of our best white ball players just play white ball cricket. Go and earn yourself a load of money yeah. around the world playing T20 franchise. Make yourself available for all of our internationals. Win us some more world titles. And you're going to be our stars of white ball cricket. And then say to Ben Folks and James Bracey in the, um, in the current England setup at the moment, um, you're our two test match keepers. 
Um, you're our Red Bull guys. You're going to be the two wicket keepers that go on tour. James Bracey can also bat in the top order and provide cover in that respect. I think that might be a, a strategic way of um, keeping all of them happy, keeping all of them in, inter, in, in the international setup. And, and also, um, I think it actually put, probably puts horses on, on the right courses rather than um, Josh Butler is not a, a Red Bull player. And I, I, don't think, I don't think he ever has been. And no. he's, selected on, he's selected on what he might achieve what people have seen him do in white ball cricket yeah. rather than what he's ever done in red ball cricket. No, I think I agree. And loads and loads for England to, to think about. Um, and, and very well put, James, as well. Unfortunately, though, that is all we've got time for in this section. Uh, we are that, uh, very quickly running out of time. Um, thank you very, very much, James, for coming on. I really hope you enjoyed yourself on the Sports Weekly podcast. That's a pleasure. Um, Everyone needs to go and now search for at cricket underscore badger uh, for the Cricket Badger podcast. As I said at the start, um, excellent podcast, lots of brilliant guests. So please, please, please go and check it out. Thank you again, James, for um, joining us. And coming up next is the sports quiz. So it's time for part three and our sports quiz. Uh, again, thank you very much to James uh, for joining in the last part. Josh, he was very, very knowledgeable. Very, very good guest, I thought. Awesome. Get him on CMS and I would listen away. Yeah, absolutely. And I very... still will listen away. But yeah, <laughs> CMS. Regardless, but still. Better, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very, as Will said, very good podcast voice. Um, but anyway, it's time for our sports quiz. There are lots of people to mention from the quizzes that Will set in the week. Um, but most of them are ones that have already been mentioned before. So we've obviously got as ever, the Rams Writer Podcast, our friends from over there. Uh, Kevin Green at Sporting Heroes again. Uh, Ross Kilvington at Kilvington91. Finley Chung at Chung underscore Finley10. Uh, uh, ben, so at Benjamin. JJ03 is back on the quizzing vibes. Uh, we've had uh, Tom Coleman at Mr. T Coleman. Um, and we've also had one more that I can't see there, but there's somewhere. Um, so thank you very much to everybody who's joined in the quizzes this week, but we are now there for the live quiz. So this time I'm going to test Josh and Will with a who am I sports quiz. I'm going to give them a clue. If they want to guess, they can. If they don't want to, I'll go on to the next clue. Five clues um, as an option. If they get the person from the first clue, they get five points. Second clue, they get four points. Third clue, they get three points, and so on. If either of you get the question or the answer wrong from a clue, you can guess again in the future, but you will get a minus point, okay, every time you make an incorrect guess. So, Josh, understand the rules? Got it. Will, understand the rules? Can I just check my buzzer? Uh, your buzzer is your name. So yeah, let me just let me just check out Papa Booba Deal. <laughs> That's like okay. I'm, I'll allow you to be your name if you want that to Thank be. Thank you very much, uh, Josh. Do you want your name or a, or a, an uh, ex? Less to play I'll from be the Jamie Party. Go on. Right. So there, you buzzers. They do work. I can hear them. Uh, you must say your buzzer before you make a guess. If you make a guess without saying your buzzer, I will not give you the mark. I'm so harsh. So, um, are we ready? First clue. Do you want the sport they're from or do you want just me to go for it and you'll get... I would like you to take your job seriously and have this already organised before you ask okay. me that question. I'll, I'm not going to give you the sport. I'm just going to go for it and no. see, what, see what you say. Good man. Um, Good man. So, 
Clue number one, I was born on the 20th of June, 1978. You can, of course, go for a guess, or if you think that's ridiculous, I'm not going to go for a guess from that, then you don't have to. Um, I'm not going to take a minus point for trying to guess someone's birthday. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, okay, Josh, no, no guess? Nothing from me. Right, I was born in Romford. I was born in Romford. Papa Booba Dia. Yes. Is it Ray Parler? It's not Ray Parler, no. So that's uh, a minus one. What was it, birthday? 1998? What am I talking 1978. about? 1978. 1978. Oh, um, right, so that's minus one to Will. Um, clue number three. I have a large footballing family. A large footballing family. A family from which... Jamie Vardy. Les Ferdinand. <laughs> I thought you were guessing. Uh, no, Les Ferdinand is not correct. No, not correct. Um, right. I spent my years playing as a goal-scoring midfielder. Jamie Vardy. Yeah. Who'd you like to go for, Josh? Uh, can it, no, can I, can I retract? I don't want okay, to... yeah, you've not made a guess. That's fine. No, no, no. no. I, I'm not going to count it. No guess made. Uh, Will, would you like to make a guess? With one clue left. Um... I spent my years as a goal-scoring midfielder. Spent my years playing, sorry, as a goal-scoring midfielder. As a goal-scoring midfielder. Uh, um, I am going to say... That's not oh, the final clue, but oh, you don't have to oh, guess. Papa Boobadilla. Right. Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard is the right answer. Yeah, uh, I know. <laughs> clue number five was I now manage the club I scored 211 goals for. So... That would have been the obvious one, but I thought, I thought, yeah, right. So, Will, you're on one. Josh, you're on minus one. Right. Clue number two. On time with zero, because I had a minus point. No, because you got two points for that clue. Oh, smashing. Real. Two points. Uh, number two. I was born on the 1st of April, 1995. That's quite young. That's quite, yeah, quite young. You, I was, you two would know that. <laughs> I was born in Bridgetown, Barbados. Oh, anybody? Joffre Archer is correct. He's got it. So that's four points to you, Josh. You're now on three. Um, I was reluctant using that because James had mentioned that in our interview. Yeah, I was, I was like, like, myself, he's not going to be that obvious. Then yeah, I realized it, I'd already written it beforehand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Question three. Uh, do you want to know the other clues? The other clues were: I am a right arm fast bowler. My test debut was on the 14th of August 2019 against Australia, and I recently breached biosecurity protocols and was dropped <laughs> from the England squad. I think that one. <laughs> yeah. Who was that? Uh, right. Question three. Three to Josh. One to Will. I was born on the 30th of September, 1997. Oh, wow. So younger still. Okay. I was born in Hasselt, Belgium. Hasselt, Belgium. Obviously, you don't know the sport they're from, so... You're not wrong. Um, okay, I'll go on to the clue three. My father is a famous Dutch former racing driver. Clue three. My father is a famous Dutch former racing driver. Right. Clue number four. I raced for Toro Rosso before joining Red Bull, who I still race for Papa now. Who is it? Is Will? it Max Verstappen? It is Max Verstappen. Two points to Damn Will. It. That means you are on three points each. 
going into the final two questions. Um, the last clue was I finished second at the Hungarian Grand Prix this weekend. Um, which I just want to say shout out to Chris because I wouldn't have known that without him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Qu question number four. I was born on the 28th of January, 1986. Clue two. I was born in Sheffield. Number two, I was born in Sheffield. No guesses. No. Clue number three, I have won two Olympic medals. Jamie Gardy. Yes, Josh. Bradley Wiggins? It is not Bradley Wiggins. That's a minus point for Josh. Minus point for um, Josh. Papa Booba Diop. Will. I've forgotten her first. I've forgotten her first name. If you can give me a last name. It's Ennis. It's Jessica Ennis. Yeah. Ja yeah, Jessica Ennis Hill. Jessica Ennis, Jessica... that is correct. Oh, yeah, Jessica Ennis Hill. Um, Will, that was clue number three, so for which you get three points. Uh, you are now on six. Josh, with that minus point, you're on two. Uh, the other clues I would have given you was I retired in October 2016 and I am a heptathlete and one of the heroes from London 2012 Super Saturday. Um, so, Josh, basically you need to get it on clue number one or two, one to win, two for a tiebreaker that I don't have. So I'm just going to have to go to Wikipedia <laughs> and make a tiebreaker up because um, I didn't think you'd be Good drawing with the different clues. So the last one, Josh, you need to get it on the first or second. And it's very difficult to get it on the first or second. So uh, question number five, I was born on the 21st of August, 1963. So obvious from that one, Josh. No, so um, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to get it on two. You're going to go? get it on two. Okay. No. Okay. I was born in Nottingham. Uh, I mean, you've got to go for it, otherwise you lose anyway. So. Uh, Jamie Vardy, Glenn Hoddle. <laughs> no, it was not Glenn Hoddle. So that's a minus point to Josh. Josh, you can't win, but you can play for pride, of course. Okay. Um, clue number three, I was a central defender. I was a central defender. He's not still. He was born in 1963. That would be crazy. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Okay. No. 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 Um, oh, no. no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Clue number four. I played for Shrewsbury Town, Sheffield Wednesday, and Middlesbrough. Shrewsbury Town, Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday, Wednesday, and Middlesbrough. And Middlesbrough. Oh. Oh, because they got relegated, and he was, oh, yeah, uh, Papa Boubidia. This is, he was in the same squad as Ravinelli, Jorginho, uh, okay. Brian Cook was the manager. Uh, he was a central defender, and unfortunately, maybe one of the reasons why they went down, it was, in fact, the recently unemployed Nigel Pearson. It was Nigel Pearson. You are ding, correct. Ding, ding, uh, I bow down oh. to you, Will. Uh, the final clue was I have managed Leicester City, Hull, Derby and Watford amongst other clubs. So that is the end of the sports quiz. Um, Josh, you finished on one point, um, which, sounds, which sounds harsh, but with negative points in play and you had to go for one of them. Not, not the end of the world. You didn't end it in minus. And Will, you finished on eight with your, with your good answering skills, uh, which means, Will, your quiz is next time. Um, so I mean, that's Will. three weeks in a row, Dan. I mean, 
the fact that you've not touched so, I mean, listeners of the podcast will understand my frustration <laughs> as I wanted Dan and uh, Chris or Josh, no matter who it is, to be honest, all of you, none of you, well, no, one of you at least, uh, well, for, for fancy dress, um, because I'd won last week as well. And uh, yeah, uh, it didn't turn up in it. So no, I'm getting these empty promises, Dan. But what I I'm will do, what I will do, I'm after this podcast, either tonight or tomorrow, I am shaving my head um, because I can't be bothered with long hair anymore. So I will turn up next week with a, a shaved head, if that counts. I so. am very. You know, barbers are open now, don't you? No, I do, but I just can't be bothered are to you book in shaving your and head, shaving it because that's all off. Can it's you? Gone. Is that if that is that counts yes. as a that, that that is? I mean, if Josh could do it too, I mean, <laughs> Josh Seller's good at the minute. I'm not sure thing. you realise how precious my hair is to me. It hurt enough to get it cut like this. I was going to say it's looking quite good um, now. So, and as is yours, will and mine just looks ridiculous. So it's so. You know what? That 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 makes up for last week, the week before, and whatever what whatever happens week after. Yeah, this is real. Yeah, ba- fine. So basically, my beard is ridiculous. My beard is Do it now. So I'm just Do going from the top Do of my face and around. That's the plan. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're we're going to see what number I go to, but where I dare go to. But I'm just like summer, summertime, sun's out, shave my head. So anyway, people don't want to know about that. People want to know that there is. Uh, Will's quiz next week there is going to be more sports quizzes in the week and for that you need to follow our Twitter page on Twitter we are at pod sports weekly that's at pod sports weekly or if you want to get in touch as many people have so far uh, email us on uh, sportsweeklypod at gmail.com that's sportsweeklypod at gmail.com that unfortunately is all we've got time for Uh, Josh, Will, thank you very much both for coming on have you enjoyed yourselves? Loved it more than god damn james butler loves james bracy that's how yes yes i have <laughs> good Fantastic. Yeah, i'm glad um yeah thanks again for for james butler from uh, cricket badger for coming on uh josh hopefully back next week back next week yeah will all being well back next week to see that bald head of yours <laughs> yes <laughs> I, I would like I'll to point out there. not completely bald i'll be there with the dome polish down what I'm worried about is when Gianfranco Zola shaved his head and then it didn't grow back from his luscious long locks. Um, that's what I'm worried about. But we'll see next week. Uh, as I said, that's all we've got time for. Thank you very, very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week for another one. And thank you for listening to Sports Weekly. Sports Weekly.